Um, anyway, uh, it's great to see you all uh, here. Wasn't it great to pray for our kids uh, this morning? It was such a beautiful tribute of, uh, you know, Jess. Uh, beautiful, sensitive way of acknowledging that, that this journey of parenthood can, you know, it's a, it's a very joyful journey. And it's really, it's a joyful thing to, uh, to have kids and see kids coming in the world. But it, for many couples, uh, it is, uh, you know, th- there is grief involved, particularly in this area of infertility. And as Jess was speaking, I just had one of those moments where I just felt like this is what church is all about. You know, this is what church is all about. It's about rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn because life brings both of those things. And I think sometimes we think that being a Christian means you have to be happy all the time. No, no, you don't. You have permission to be sad because there's so, so much uh, about life that just isn't right, you know, and, and, and so much that remains unfulfilled. And so it's really important that we learn to struggle together. And, and as Jess was talking about that and as we were praying for our kids, I was reminded, and I hope you were reminded, that one of the most important things for families is that families don't just do their thing in isolation. Families need a family. In particular, families need a church family. A church family is a very unique kind of thing. Uh, it's unique because of the diverse, you know, the diverse array of people that join together, people from all uh, walks of life and different kinds of people. It's not just uh, people that gather around one particular interest or one particular age group. It's the, uh, you know, it's, it's the multiplicity and the difference and, and the, you know, that, all that being united together. But there's something very unique uh, about a church because as it, God uh, gives his promises to his people, you know, and One of the characteristics about a church is that a church functions under the umbrella of the promise of God. A church functions under the umbrella of an eldership. One of the things that we do uh, as elders and one of the functions of of an eldership, and I hope uh, that you will more and more get to know some of the uh, elders of of our church. We have two boards uh, of elders. We have governance elders that do an amazing job uh, actually making sure that the the church as an organization is run well and with integrity. Um, We also have a group of pastoral elders And I just want to say something about what we do as pastoral elders. One of the things that we do is that we meet together regularly and we pray and we draw down on the promises of God for our church. Because we believe the promises of God are given to the church. And this relates to something that I want to talk about today to enable us to begin to think corporately. We have a habit of thinking very individualistically. But to really step into the promises, to really step into the fullness of what God wants to pour into your life, it's very important that we, that we begin to think differently, to think in terms of God's purpose, and God's purpose is a corporate purpose. It's about us taking our place within something bigger. It's about our family taking its place within something bigger. And when we come in under the church, there's a sense we come in under a spiritual covering of spiritual leaders who pray and draw down on the promises of God to see God's purpose realized in all of our lives. There's a, uh, there's a wonderful uh, promise in uh, uh, Jeremiah 
chapter 29, verse 11. It's a very famous promise in the Old Testament. Many, many of you will know this verse. It says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, there's a very important word here that can be a little ambiguous because when we read that verse, we tend to individualize it. This is about me. And in a way, it is. It is. Uh, but we individualize it, you know, and we think, well, God has a plan for me uh, and, and he's going to prosper me and, and nothing, no harm is going to come to me. And the, the problem with that is that sometimes we, in, you know, bad things happen and, and we, we do get harmed. And, and, uh, and I think the key word that we need to understand here. And that's not taking away from the fact that this promise stands. The promise stands. But the key word there is the word you. The problem is in the English language is that the word you can be singular or plural. And if I refer to you, I can be referring to you personally, singularly, or you as a group. Now, it so happens that the word there is you as in a group. God is talking about his people. He's talking about his family. He says, I have a plan for my family. And in order for each one of us to realise our full potential in God and what God wants to pour into each of our lives, we need to take our place within God's people. And so we need to start thinking about us and the role that I have for us. And that's kind of countercultural because we do, in our culture particularly, we tend to think quite individualistically. Now, I should point out uh, that this individualistic way of thinking is only really possible, even, in a culture that enjoys a very high degree of prosperity and privilege. Normally, individualistic ways of thinking just aren't, it's not possible really even. Uh, but we have the resources actually to think of ourselves very much in isolation. I live my life and you live your life. And, and, uh, and the problem is, is that we don't really discover the real me or the real you in that scenario. What tends to get lost in an individualistic way of thinking is our individuality. The problem is when everyone is trying to make their own identity and, and live their own life and chase their own goals, unfortunately, we all end up looking the same, largely. One of the things that is beautiful, actually, about God's purpose is that we get to discover, by becoming an us, we get to discover our unique individuality by discovering how we fit in the bigger scheme. The Bible throughout, from beginning to end, is a Bible that thinks in a very big picture. Now, a couple of months ago, uh, I showed uh, this, uh, this diagram of the crucial relationships um, of our lives, the crucial relationships that define us as people, our relationship with God, our relationship with other people in plural, relationship with God, relationship with other people, and our relationship with our environment, with our planet. 
All of those things are part of God's original design. In order for us to understand ourselves, we cannot isolate any one part of this away. We can't take any one part of this away. And it's this connectedness that is a main theme in the Bible from beginning to end. The biggest problem, the problem that the Bible diagnoses, the big problem with the world is a problem of disconnection. That's a really good way. It's not just about personal dysfunctionality or personal sin, however you want to put that. I mean, that's, that's, yes, that's part of it, but actually there's a bigger picture here. The thing that God wants to do is actually reestablish the connections that make us who we are. Primarily our connection with God because we are defined by our relationship with God. We are primarily children of God. We are children of God. And because we're children of God, we're therefore a family. We're a family. And so the relationship with God becomes the thing really that unites us with other people. Because otherwise, what else is there to unite us with other people? No, we are united because we belong to a common family. And as a family, we have a mandate. And the mandate that we have as a family is to worship God, to care for each other, and to care for our planet. And none of those things can be taken away. Now the thing that went wrong, of course, is that these relationships got broken down. There was disconnection. In fact, I'll speak of two elements to this problem. Disconnection, and what I'm gonna call misconnection. Now, I'm gonna do a couple of things uh, this morning, two, two main things. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna point out some things about Scripture. I'm gonna be a bit teachy uh, at first, but actually there's, a, there's a, a picture that's been on my heart for a, a couple of weeks now. Uh, that I feel there's a sense of promise in. And, I, and, I, and actually, the thing that I most want to share with you actually is that picture because I feel like there's something very powerful uh, that God wants to show us today. But I need to give this a little bit of framework uh, first. Two aspects of this problem are both connection, uh, sorry, disconnection and misconnection. Disconnection is caused when we decide, when we each decide, I'm going to live my life autonomously. That means that you rule your own life, you establish who you, you decide who you are. That's, that's autonomy. You decide who you are and how you're going to live. And what this does is that it isolates people because it, it, it there's, there be, there's no sense of commonality. And the thing about autonomy is that when everyone is going after autonomy, it ends up putting people in conflict uh, with each other. It's why, um, for example, uh, in, in our culture, uh, someone uh, can, can even um, just you know, say, well, uh, this, is, this is who I am and this is who I choose to be, and you know, and look, you know, I'm not, I'm not out to argue with that in one sense. I just think that's, uh, I just think that's, it's sad that all we have in terms of our sense of self 
is what we can achieve, what we can imagine. What, but see, there is something, and I've said this repeatedly over the last few weeks, there's something immensely sacred about human beings. Something sacred, so beautifully sacred about the people around you. And it's because we are children of God. It's God who defines who we are, not us. Now this longing for connection, connection with God and connection with other people though remains. Even though we fragment, and you see this happening uh, in scripture, this sense of people fragmenting from each other. Yet there still remains within the human heart a need for connection. Unfortunately, this can become what I'm gonna call misconnection. Misconnection can, ex- can uh, happens in a number of ways. Misconnection is when we look to other people to be for us what only God can be for us. It's one of the great things that undermines relationships so much when, when we expect from other people what only God can give us. Suddenly it's the people around us. They need to give us happiness. They need to give us joy. They need to give me my sense of identity. It's, you know, how they see me becomes all important. And this is misconnection because there are some things that only God can provide. You know, I've said many times before, I see, you know, seen relationships break down and people saying, well, I just didn't find happiness in my relationship. But see, happiness is something you bring to a relationship in the sense of joy, true biblical joy. That's something, that's something we attain. For, security is something that we bring to our relationship. If we don't bring it to our relationship, how are we ever gonna find it in our relationships? Another form of misconnection is where we identify with, you know, with a certain groups. It's, perhaps you could refer to this as tribalism in the broader sense of the word, tribalism where we identify with this group, but the problem with that is that then it's always this group against this group, and that, of course, has contributed to the fragmentation that we see in the world, particularly uh, in in our day and age where this sort of tribalism is is becoming, you know, more and more a fragmenting force, more and more a polarizing force uh, in our world. Because we're focusing on, on, on not, it's not focusing on the main thing. And I think we're gonna be very careful as Christians that we don't fall into tribalism. As soon as a Christian, for example, identifies primarily, and because there's an election uh, coming up, let me say this, I think it's very important that Christians are aware and involved in politics, both sides of politics. We have lots of Christians involved in both sides of politics. But if we front load that as the most important thing, if that's the thing that we identify with, if that's the thing that we're gonna put our, our primary passion into and it's only ever going to fragment. And we see that, don't we? We see the way that politics can fragment people. But you see, as Christians, we have a bigger view. In the Christian worldview, political solutions are only band-aids for a spiritual problem. But we have an answer to this spiritual problem. We have a solution in Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And we should be able to transcend that kind of tribalism. Disconnection and misconnection. And then when you look at God's great plan, what is, you know, what is happening? What is God, what is the primary big thing that God is doing? When you look at this in scripture, it's all about God gathering people 
together. It's gathering people to become one people. You see this from the beginning of the founding of the church in Acts chapter two. We have that wonderful story on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church. And the fruit of that is a reconnection. It's not just a reconciliation with God, but it's a reconnection of people with people. Suddenly, while throughout the world there is this fragmenting force, human nature and and that addiction to autonomy, everyone playing God in their own little universes, while that fragments people, while there's this powerful fragmenting force in the world, yet there is a greater uniting force, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit who looks to draw people together, to become one people, to transcend all of the differences that exist in our tribalism and our individualism, to be united under something greater. You see that from the start. It's why one of the signs actually on the day of Pentecost was the, uh, was the sign of the languages, the tongues. They all spoke so that everyone from all the different nationalities, all the different uh, areas, different languages could understand the praise that was being given to God on the day of Pentecost. It was a sign and a sign is meant to indicate something. And what that sign was indicating is that God is breaking down now is breaking down the walls that separate people from people, that he's bringing people together now. And then right at the end of chapter two, you have this wonderful picture. This is, and this is very deliberate in the book of Acts. What is the immediate fruit of the outpouring of the Spirit? It is the creation of a people who are one in heart and mind. This is the thing that's pointed out about the early church. They were one in heart and mind. Didn't mean that they were all the same. Didn't mean that they had all the same opinions. Didn't mean that they shared all the same political convictions. Didn't mean that, you know, it it just meant that there was something higher that they were most passionate about, that they were most invested in, that meant a people so diverse. I mean, this is the remarkable thing about the early church, and it's pointed out in a number of contemporary sources that as they shared communion together, and communion was, the, was one of the key sort of symbols of their unity, and in the early church, it was actually celebrated as a meal around a table. And the remarkable thing, incredibly countercultural thing about that meal was that at the same table, you had free people and slaves, masters and slaves, the aristocrats and the very lowest of society, men and women who didn't always share a table at that, men and women around that same uh, table, Jew and Gentile, different nationalities that would never normally have anything to do with one another across every class divide, every national divide, around the same table saying we are one. We are one in Jesus Christ. It is at the center, reconnecting, it's like you know, a, a, a great broken vase, a vase that got broken, and God is actually putting the pieces together. He's not just restoring individual pieces. Yes, God wants to restore you and the things in your life. He wants to restore the individual pieces. But ultimately, it's with a view to bringing the pieces together to recreate the beautiful vision of a human family that was always central to God's purpose from the beginning. 
It's a wonderful, wonderful vision. When you read uh, Ephesians, let me just read a few uh, verses from Ephesians to, to really underscore this, just in case, uh, uh, just in case you, you, you're wondering whether this is biblical or not. I, I better actually read something uh, from the Bible uh, and, uh, and I'll... Uh, I, I just as I read this, I want you to, you know, get the gist of this. What the what the big? Because again, this is about big picture. What is the big picture here? Ephesians one from verse seven. In Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. That we celebrate all the time. Jesus has reconciled us to God. Whoever we are, whatever we've done, you can be forgiven and reconciled with God. But there's a goal in mind. God brings children back to himself in order to restore his family. With all wisdom and understanding, it goes on. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. This is the big purpose. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Listen to this. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. To bring unity to, notice how it says all things, right? Because it's not just about, it's not just about us and God. It's not even actually even about us and each, like each other. It's actually us and the rest of the creatures on the earth. The Bible has a remarkably holistic vision. It abs- part of this vision is absolutely about our relationship to other creatures on the earth, to our planet, to our environment. And I think I, I, I point that out because today we're feeling more than ever the effects of the fact that we really messed that one up. Like we really messed that one up. And our planet increasingly is sort of turning against us, isn't it? Because we messed up uh, our environment. It's a very Christian idea. Notice how big this vision is, that all things would be put back, all things would be put back into the right connection. And then in Ephesians 2, from verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. His purpose, verse 15, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, and it's talking about Jew and Gentile, one of the primary divisions. It's not the only division, but he's using this as an example. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross of Jesus Christ, by which he put to death their hostility. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple In the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. So he goes on in Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 3 make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If you want to flow with the Spirit, the Spirit is flowing in the direction of unity and connection to counter the fragmenting force. I mean, you'll feel the fragmenting force. There is plenty that could actually alienate you 
and cause hostility between you and other people. We experience that all the time. But we need to step up above that and step into the stream of the Spirit of God who is uniting us. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. I have this picture and it's been nagging at me and I feel like God is speaking through it. I see many, many streams, many, many streams flowing. God is establishing a new flow of something in many people's lives. I see many streams being established. This is how God wants it. Jesus said to a Samaritan woman in John chapter four, Jesus said that he wanted to establish a spring of living water within the hearts of all of his people. Now the thing about a stream is a stream stays fresh because it flows, it's constantly flowing towards something. I see many, many streams, but I see many, many streams all flowing towards the same thing. This is what, you know, we've had lots of rain lately, haven't we? And uh, I see, many, I live up in the hills in, in, in Ceres, and there are many, many streams as it's been raining, many, many streams, but they're all flowing down into the Barwon River or the Moorabal River or wherever you live. I see many streams flowing into the one great river of God. See, the stream that God wants to establish in your life, the stream that God wants to establish in your life, he's established that so that that stream can flow into the river of God and you can become one with the river of God. Now, I know this is a little abstract, but stay with me here for a second. See, one of the problems, I think, is that God gives us things, right? He puts things into our lives. But when we think individualistically, what happens is that we become, instead of being like a flowing, beautiful, clear, fresh, flowing stream, right? We become like a stagnant pond. That's what happens. When you live your life, like I'm just, you know, gathering all these great experiences that I want to have and all of the things and I'm going to bring all, it doesn't matter what you bring into that pond, it's going to stagnate if it doesn't flow out. And this is what happens to us. And, and we, the solution is just we've got to keep trying to add stuff to that stagnant pond. But as soon as we add it, it just becomes, well, stagnant. And I wonder if you felt like this. Maybe even God did some things in your life. Maybe God at one point, at some time, he actually, with a wonderful flow, poured into your life. But then you built up the banks. Maybe you lost touch with God's purpose. And it just became a stagnant point. I wonder if you feel like your life 
is just a murky pond. It doesn't matter what you put into it. It's like nothing works. It's, you just feel spiritually stagnant. And what God wants to establish again in you and in me is a new flow of his spirit. He actually wants to break the banks of that stagnant pond. He wants to break the banks of that stagnant pond. And I see many, many streams beginning to flow again. Stagnant ponds that were murky and dark and muddy. I see God doing a new thing and establishing a new flow and eroding the banks and beginning to flow through you. Not just into you, but through you. And I see many, many streams all flowing into the one great river of God. Because all streams, all streams, they will flow downwards. There's a, there's a flow into something. And I believe that in that great river, I believe this is essentially what God wants to do with us. He wants to flow through you to create an us, to create a river of his spirit, as it were. And I see so much significance. I see so much beauty in that river. I see healing in that river. I see people being restored in that river. It's a river of healing, just like in the story of Naaman the Syrian. If you know your Old Testament stories, you might know a story about a foreigner that, that you know, heard that there, was, that, you know, that there was a prophet in Israel and he, and he, and he came to Elisha. And Elisha said, dip seven times in the Jordan River. So I'm, I'm, could really get off track. It's a great story. It's in, I think it's in one King, uh, 2 Kings 5, I think. Oh man, I could be wrong about that. Anyway, don't sack me if I'm wrong. I think it's in 2 Kings 5. Like, it was a beautiful, a, actually a beautiful prophetic illustration that Elisha was saying, it's not about me, it's not about any one person, it's about the promise of God that is resident in the midst of God's people. And when God's people unite around his purpose, then we elevate the promise. And as the streams flow into the river, I see the river rising. And I see people stuck in the banks. I wonder if you feel like you're stuck in the bank. The immovable, the people that don't believe, that feel like they could never believe, the people that got washed up, maybe hurt, maybe even hurt by the church. As the river rises, I see it carrying everything into itself in a wonderful, purifying, healing, restorative flow. It will be so. It will be so. Can you see that? Can anyone here see that? God is going to do something in your life that is not going to be about you. And you realizing it, you realizing that it's not just about you is the key. You're gonna feel 
God begin to erode some banks. He's going to establish a new flow. And from the moment it begins to happen, say to yourself, this is not just about me. Wouldn't it be beautiful to establish a flow, a community, a church in which we all contribute to the flow, not just the guy up the front, not just the people on the microphones, not even just the elders. A river is made by many, many streams. Otherwise, it's just a dried up creek bed. Doesn't matter how good a job I do or our worship leaders or our lead pastors, it doesn't matter how good a job they do, it'll be a dried up stream unless all the streams flow into the one river. Do you see that? That's what it means to be church. That's what I long for. So recognize when God begins to do a new thing in you, let it flow. Let it flow into the one river. Now you might say, what practically, what does that mean? Like, you know, this is the problem with someone who's like, practically, what does that mean? I have no idea, actually. I mean, you know, like, I, I mean, I'm still kind of working that out myself. But I think, you know, I think God will show you where you need to connect, who you need to connect with. You know, it, you'll start to actually see things you didn't see before. You'll start to recognize, oh, actually, I need to begin to, you know, put into this. I need to bless here. I need to put in here. I need, to, it's, you know, you will begin you'll begin to see your life will become outflow as we all pour in together to create this wonderful river that will bring restoration and healing and new life to the city. I long for that. It's God's purpose. Why don't we stand together and pray for that? Thank you, Lord. As I pray right now, I just want to ask you if you feel that your life has become like a stagnant pond. I wonder if there's anyone here you just feel like you just, and you don't even know how to even, how to even get out of that place. I want to pray, I want to pray for you first. And I don't want to just pray for you. I want to actually break that bank now in Jesus' name. I want to, like, I want to see God do something now, and I believe God will. So I want you to think very carefully about this. Do you feel like, do you feel like there's some banks being built? What, to whatever extent? Do you feel like there's something, you know, here that's blocking your flow? Do you feel like there's a stagnancy? I want to pray for you this morning. If that's you, I just want to lift your hand right nice and high this morning. Lift your hand nice and high. I want you to keep your hand high. Father in heaven, by your spirit right now, I pray, Father God, from the tips 
of the fingers of each person that raises their hand, even as I'm praying, I'd ask you to raise your hand if you feel like this is for you. Father, from the tips of their fingers, Lord God, Lord, the hands that are raised to say, Lord, unless you do something, nothing's gonna happen. I'm completely stuck. Father, I pray from the tips of their fingers that you would begin to flow down, Lord, right now. The flow of the Spirit of God right now through the tips of your fingers, down through your arm, into your whole being. Now, in Jesus' name, it is so. Flow, river, flow. Spring of living water. And I want you to feel the fresh water, the purifying water washing away. It's washing away your guilt. It's washing away shame. It's washing away failure. It's washing away the banks, that the, the obstacles that... All of the mud is purified by the beautiful river of the Holy Spirit that flows in you right now. Be filled with the Spirit from the tips of your fingers to your whole being. You can put your hands down because the Spirit of God is upon you. As Jesus said when He quoted, from Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And it's not just for me. It's to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives. You are full of the Spirit of God. And little by little, God is going to begin to do a new thing in and through you in Jesus' name. Now let's pray for our church, folks. Father, would you establish, would you establish here a river of God, Lord God. We pray for the rising of the waters, Lord God, for the rising of the waters that all of those stuck in the mud, in the banks, Lord God, that you would just be washed away by the great river of God, Lord. Would you establish a life giving river, Lord God, in our midst, Father. So that whoever comes would find grace and healing and restoration and revival in Jesus' name. It will be so because you are faithful. And so, Lord, we give you praise, Lord God. We give you praise before everything, Lord God. We give you praise. We lift up the name of God, the one who unites us, the one who calls us, Lord God. Father, we lift you up high. We say, hallowed be your name, Lord. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. As your name is hallowed in this place, in Jesus' name. Let's respond this morning.